Hello and welcome to Food Systems, a podcast from the Forum for the Future of Agriculture, where we discuss ideas that can shape a sustainable food system, from farm to fork, from policy to consumers, and everything in between. I'm your host, Robert Graff, and you can find us on Twitter at Forum for Ag. These episodes will be available every other week on all major podcast platforms. Before we get started, we would like to say a quick thank you to the Forum founding partners, the European Landowners Organization and Syngenta, as well as the Forum strategic partners, Cargill, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, the Nature Conservancy, Thought for Food and the World Wildlife Fund. Please enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome back to another episode of Food Systems. Today we're going to be talking about the fertilizer industry with Jacob Hansen. He is the Director General for Fertilizers Europe. Jacob, thank you so much for joining Food Systems today. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Robin. Uh, Let's go straight into some, I think, very current events. Uh, While we don't know any of the outcomes at the moment, can you already see any of the results of the tension currently between Western powers on the one side and Ukraine and Russia in terms of fertilizer prices and the supply chain? It's a very big question and it's it's going on as we speak here now, Robert. So I think it's a bit too early to say what are the real consequences. What I do want to say, though, is the European fertilizer industry is part of European society. So if our leaders decide on sanctions, you know, we will support and accept them. But decisions and sanctions have consequences. So the politicians will also have afterwards to deal with whatever comes out of it. And I put it this way because obviously Russia is a very big gas supplier to the European society. And we also met with this uh, tweet here earlier today that he is going to make sure that gas prices go up. And, and this is something then we as a society will have to live with. Uh, are you currently confident that there will be a pickup mechanism? Is it even possible for, for Europe to replace um, gas, gas from Russia if it becomes very expensive indeed? Listen, this is a little bit over my pay grade. I, I think this is really geopolitical discussions on such a high level that I don't feel it's for me to, to, to express any view on that. I, I'm just saying from us, we are a very gas-dependent industry. Gas is the main raw material for us. So obviously anything that has to do with gas is of key importance to us and we need also solutions for us to continue our fertilizer production. Okay, so let's move off Russia, but do let's stick with the issue of gas prices because gas and electricity, even before the current situation, have gotten vastly more expensive, certainly uh, in in the last year. It was roughly stable until about 2021, but last year saw great increases. Uh, Can you describe the impact on these rises in electricity and gas on the fertilizer industry? Well, the impact, Robert, is huge. What you have to understand is that fundamentally... Fertilizer is energy, and also food is energy. So whenever you touch energy prices, you're going to have a huge impact in the agri-food sector. So that's one way of expressing it. In terms of numbers, gas prices have gone up with more than 500% uh, since last summer, and since gas is 80-90% of our variable cost in our industry, the impact, of course, has been huge. Now, we saw a recent spike in December where gas really went far beyond even the, the 500% that, that you said. 
can you describe maybe to our listeners? Do you know where where sort of where does this spike come from? Where does has this ramp up in the last year come from? I am not following the or I'm following the gas market, but I'm not a gas trader specialist. So I think more generally we have come out of a COVID crisis and suddenly demand has picked up. So this is one of the factors. And the other factor which has been discussed at length in the media is also that the storage or the gas storage in Europe was not filled last summer and therefore approaching winter, the shortage of storage have also created pressure to increase the prices. In terms of price rises, we're not just talking about the price of, of gas. Uh, there's also been uh, a sharp spike last year in the cost of carbon credits as part of the EU emission trading system, the ETS, uh, from a relatively stable 25 euros per unit to a current price well over 85. What is the impact of that? It will have to have an impact because to produce uh, the main ingredients for fertilizers, which is ammonia, we are at the moment emitting a lot of CO2. We're trying to reduce it, but it's a lot of CO2. So roughly speaking, we are producing two tons of CO2 per ton of ammonia, which means that for each ton, we have to pay now 170 euros. And that is huge compared to the price of ammonia. So it will have an impact. The good thing at the moment is that the 80% of this price is refunded to the industry as part of what is termed free allowances. So the industry at the moment does not bear the full brunt of the CO2 uh, prices. Is there a current plan within the European Union to sort of get rid of these free allowances at the moment? Or is that still a situation that you expect to remain stable for the foreseeable future? No, unfortunately, this is one of the big concerns we have. And one of the things where we're trying to shout up politicians, members of parliament, the Commission member states to say, as part of the proposal on the carbon border adjustment mechanism, the Commission has proposed that these free allowances will gradually be reduced. And this is going to have a lot of consequences, at least on two fronts. One of them is for the whole, what I call the value chain, the price that we have to demand from farmers, because if the production gets more expensive, longer term, the product you sell will also have to get more expensive. And secondly, it also means that we will not be competitive on the export market. And that's for an industry like the fertilizer industry, it's it's critical because we are a seasonal industry. So, you know, we use a lot of fertilizer in the spring in Europe, but not so much in the summer where it goes to the southern uh, hemisphere. And therefore, we need to be available to get onto the export markets. But if we have to pay full carbon costs and our competitors do not pay anything and they don't, uh, then it's going to be very, very difficult for us. I think some of your critics would say, well, that while that may be certainly difficult for the industry, this is the price we must pay because somehow we must get our CO2 emissions, our carbon emissions seriously down. How would you sort of balance those two then, a, a good fertilizer industry with a legitimate need to reduce carbon emissions? Well, I think one of the steps is the carbon border adjustment mechanism that has been proposed. I think it's the right way to go. I mean, if Europe wants to go really green and we have energy-intensive industries, there need to be a mechanism so there's somewhat a level playing field in Europe. And this also explains or illustrates that we will be changing. We are transforming. Things are happening what we want to make sure is that we can still be part of a global economy while that happens. And this is why we need to maintain free allowances, partly because we need to continue to export to be part of a global economy. 
and also because our agricultural sector, our farmers also need to be part of this global economy. So they cannot just have higher cost put on them if they have to then later compete with cereal producers or other producers around the globe. So it, it's a, it's a uh, balance. You know, we know we have to go and we are going, but we want to make sure that we can go step by step so that we don't create impossible situations for us to deal with. I want to come back to the carbon border adjustment mechanism uh, in a moment, but I want to stick first with, with the issue that we were just discussing about uh, price. And you, you said already, with prices this high, some of it will have to be passed on to your consumers, which is the, the farming industry. What kind of impact do you expect that these elevations in gas and electricity will have for, for farmers in the coming growing season, even in 2022? Well, the farmers will have seen much higher fertilizer prices. I mean, we can see on the statistics that they've gone up by sort of 250%, so it is significant. The good thing for farmers is that the prices of crops have also gone up significantly. So I think in terms of farm profit, there's about a balance in, in, in this. So so that's a good thing. And it comes back to what I started out saying, Robert, that you know basically food is energy, fertilizer is energy. So if you know we are seeing that crops are going up because energy is going up. I mean, in this sense, it is linked. So farmers will see effect in this. And, and one of the things we have as an industry, we have to work with the farmers to try to diminish the impact. And one of the ways would be to work closer with farmers in order to make sure that we use the fertilizer better. We need to increase the nitrogen use efficiency. We need to do better management and what we call balanced, we cannot only talk about nitrogen, but also phosphate and potassium to make sure that we get the optimal growth, the optimal growth in biomass per unit of fertilizer used. Uh, let's stick with that topic then for a moment. If you look at the current farming industry in Europe, do you think there are still big gains to make in this optimization of use? Or has Europe already gotten, gotten significantly better at this? Where, is, where are the gains to be made? No, but I mean, we have gotten significantly better. You can look at statistics and see that the nitrogen use efficiency have gone up, but we can still improve. So there is still a lot of room for improvement in in the use of fertilizers. So so I think this is the next step we have to take. And this is something, you know, we can still do more precision farming. We can do much, much better analysis of soil and compare it to the crop and what is the need of the crop in order to grow in the optimal way, we can do better. There's no doubt. Do you think also that the, the farming industry is, is ready for these improvements? Do they have the skills and then the technologies needed to make these improvements? I think this is something we have to do as an agri-food sector or as a... Yes, I actually think it's an agri-food sector. I think the farmers are willing, especially young farmers, are absolutely willing. As an industry, we have to supply tools to make sure it's better. They have to talk to their advisors. We need to, we basically need to put more knowledge into farming. That's clear. What I then also am missing is a bit on the, the food chain side. We need this to be recognized, that the farmers are doing an effort. And we need somehow to see that they also get a reward in the marketplace for doing a better effort with, with fertilizers. I mean, certainly part of that better effort, at least if you're talking from a European Union perspective, has been, uh, for example, the, the Farm to Fork initiative, part of which 
has at least a stated goal of reducing fertilizer use. Is that, do you think, an achievable goal? I heard some very senior people in the European Commission call the, the targets here for fertilizers aspirational as a way. This is where they would like to go. And I think, Robert, it's very important to underline that the targets is about reducing losses. We want to make sure that the fertilizer we apply is actually being taken up by the plant and being put in front of our, on our dinner tables. So it is the losses to the environment, first of all, that the EU wants to reduce. And then they expect also that if we reduce losses, there will also be some reduction in, in use. And, you know, that's fairly logical. Whether we can achieve that target, I don't know. It's an aspirational target. But I'm coming back to what I said before. We need to do better in terms of fertilization. That's where I agree with the Commission, and, and this is the way we'll be going. Something that's often touted as an alternative to mineral fertilizers is certainly the uh, organic fertilizers or, or a reuse of uh, animal waste and other byproducts to fertilize instead of with the mineral fertilizers and, and partly reduce this request for so much energy. Do you think that that technology and those uh, inflows are currently capable of sort of plugging the gap between mineral minimal fertilizers while maintaining yields? Clearly not. Clearly not. I mean, you can look at the statistics and you can see there's not enough organic fertilizer to supply what we need. I think a lot of the discussion about organic fertilizer is that in areas where they have too much, they would like to transfer to somewhere else to sort of bring more, uh, more harmonious agriculture into practice. Uh, so, but if, if you don't start at looking at where do we have the livestock sector, where do they have too much organic fertilizers, but we look at we're growing plants. We're trying to create optimal conditions for the plant to develop biomass. Then it's a, you know, we are in a different situation. This is where I talk about let's increase the efficiency. The efficiency always include also the organic fertilizer because that has to be included as well. But as you know, organic fertilizer typically does not have the right balance of nutrients reflected in the need the plant has if it has to grow optimally. So you always will need any way to compensate with mineral fertilizers to, to, to bring this optimal growth. And I think this is one area where you can do much better. Obviously, Robert, to make it very simple, manure has relatively too much phosphate compared to nitrogen. So if you want to have an optimal plant growth, you have to balance that with mineral fertilizers. And then before we talk about potassium, before we talk about micronutrients and all the other elements. But this is where I think we can become much better. Is that not simply a price or a trade we should be willing to make to say, well, we may have less optimum plant growth, yes, but on the other side, we've taken out a significant chunk of CO2 emissions from the from the mineral fertilizer industry. Is that not a trade that maybe we should be willing to engage more or have more of a discussion about? Well, we can, you know, we can have a life cycle analysis then about where does this manure first come from? Does it come from imported soil from South America? And where is then the, as you say, the CO2 balance if you take the overall picture, right? So nothing comes from nothing. That's one thing I want to say. The other thing is, that as we, in the fertilizer industry, start to transition to become green fertilizers, which means that we will produce fertilizers on the basis not of gas, but of renewable electricity, 
then this impact or this imprint you talk about will slowly disappear. And therefore, this whole question you're raising is not really relevant anymore. How far away do you think we are from having farmers have those in their hands in a bag in a sort of substantive replacement number rather than as, as, as an experimental phase? Uh, the truth is we're not very far because you have to understand it. You know, we have the first plants opening now this year with this, but it's on a small scale because we need to... Fertilizer production is very, very energy intensive. And whether you use gas or whether you lose electricity, you need the energy. So the energy is not there, the plants are not there, the electrolyzers we need are not there. They will come in the next four or five years. In 2030, we will not be very far, but we will get there by 2050. And one of the things, if we want to speed up this development, is to make sure that there are, first of all, an expansion of renewable electricity, because that is the first thing we need more than anything else. We need also to find a way to balance this across Europe because somehow it's easier to have windmills if you are on the coast. If you are in Central and Eastern Europe, you know, they're not the same kind of wind. So there need to be a way where they can participate as well. And um, so we need also electricity. We need support. But the last thing I also want to say is we need the food chain again to come back to this. It's not just about the fertilizer industry, farmers, it's also the food chain, because we need the retailers to start to reward farmers for using green fertilizers, which will be more expensive, and therefore they need a higher return. So, you know, we start with us, probably, but ultimately we need to ask the retailers and the consumers, you need to be part of this as well. So I wanted to turn now to another part of the EU's announced plans now that you already mentioned it the carbon border adjustment mechanism uh, this is part of a broader eu strategy to prevent uh, carbon liquid leakage or shifting production to third countries where these rules do not apply so much what does this mean for the future of, of the fertilizer industry in europe i guess i touched upon it before i think it is a right step to make we cannot have europe go green and then just say to all, everyone, you just continue importing no matter how green you are. There needs to be some kind of level playing field. And fundamentally, what this carbon border adjustment mechanism is, it asks imported product to pay the same carbon price as the industry is paying. Exactly the same. So it's leveling the playing field. So far, so good. Obviously, and I spoke about that, the problem with the proposal is that they at the same time says we will take away the free allowances, which is a way to say, to diminish the cost for the industry for this. And this will force the industry or force, the, re the result will be ultimately that there will be a higher cost for farmers. And then we have to look at their competitive situation. And the most important thing for me is we need to be able to continue to export because if we cannot export, the fertilizer industry cannot function efficiently over a year because we are a very seasonal industry, so part of the year we need to export. And if the industry is not efficient, again, the products will become more expensive longer term. So, so it's really something that we are saying to the Commission and to politicians and to member states, guys, look at this. We need, we need a better proposal. This is interesting because uh, while we were talking, this is a question that came up to me as well, is 
okay, for imports, it becomes there's a level playing field, so there will be a border adjustment mechanism, uh, a tax or a levy of some variety to level the playing field. Does it work the other way around as well? If you export, but it's more expensive than, uh, you know, if you expect export to south of the Sahara, for example, is your product then still more expensive than an equivalent from a country that does not have these green rules? Do you get sort of an export subsidy or how does it work? No, this is the whole problem with it. There is no recognition that there is this export competitiveness or the need for an export competitiveness. And I think the solution is very simple. Continue with the free allowances and then we will be more or less competitive on the export market. And I don't think there should be anything preventing this. I know the discussion in the Commission is to say, oh, WTO does not allow this. But I keep saying, you know, we are now in 2022 if WTO wants to continue to have a relevance in setting up rules for global trade, it needs to move with the times. There needs to be space for also incorporating environmental and climate efforts. Otherwise, the whole system will fall apart anyway. So I don't buy the premise. And legally, I don't think the Commission has everything sorted out correctly. You know, we have asked lawyers can you continue to have free allowances and still be in line with WTO rules? And the answer they've given us is, yes, you can. Before we turn to our final question of the podcast, I do want to remain with those free allowances for a moment. Would it be easier to build down the the, the free allowances if the gas prices fall back to where they were pre-2021? Or is that a structural thing that you just simply do not see happening? They are linked and they're not linked. You know, the... The gas price is one thing, that is our cost. The other, the CO2 price is related to our emissions. So it's not, a, it's not like a one-to-one relationship. But generally, the CO2 price goes up with the political need to do uh, much more in terms of the climate issue and, and what the political decisions are saying, which way our society needs to go. So I, I don't see the, the, the link there. But I do think, and this is important for me, in order for the industry to be part of this transition to a greener industry, we need huge investments. And investments only come if you have profit. And you cannot make profit when this one ingredient, gas, which is 80% of your variable cost, is at a record high. And in the countries around us, our big competitors, they are paying next to nothing for the gas. I mean, this is the fundamental challenge for Europe because Europe is dependent for 90% on the import of gas. It shows if you're so import dependent, you are at the mercy of countries, areas outside yourself, which brings me back also to food security and to fertilizers. You cannot produce food efficiently without fertilizers. And what for me is sure and what the last months or so with all these geopolitical tensions has showed, in Europe we cannot allow ourselves to come as dependent on fertilizers as we are on gas, because on gas we can see what that leads to and we don't want the same for fertilizer. We're getting close to the end of the podcast now. So before I let you go, I wanted to ask you the same question that we ask of everybody who comes on the podcast. Uh, that is, if I, if you could give one policy or practical idea to create a more sustainable food system, what would it be? It's a big thought, but really I would like to focus on how can we grow the crop most efficiently? How can we increase the nitrogen use efficiency? And this is something we can only do you know, together with better machinery, together with more knowledge among the farmers, together with better fertilizing products, together with also organic manure. But we need to look at it not from the point of 
the individual sector like organic manure, but what does the plant need? This is where we can create real efficiency. And I think there is a big potential, Robert. I said that. And then, the, so I would like to focus on that. And then if there's one idea and I, where I would like to have much more discussion is how can the whole food chain, how can the retailers, how can the consumers support this process? And, and this is where I have difficulty and this is where I think we need to have some help in transforming what we are doing. I call it upstream, you know, when we start to produce the food to having an impact also in the shops when the consumer is buying. Uh, Jacob Hansen, Director General for Fertilizers Europe, thank you so much for joining Food Systems today. It was a great pleasure, Robert. Thank you. You've been listening to an episode of Food Systems, a podcast brought to you by the Forum for the Future of Agriculture. Look for us in two weeks when we release our next episode. And in the meantime, please don't forget to subscribe on your podcast app, as well as on Twitter at Forum for Ag, for updates on this podcast, news, as well as forum events. Please check out our website, www.forumforagriculture.com, for more great content. Thank you for listening and enjoy your day.